Yo, yo, welcome back. This week of Unbuckled, I have on one of my closest friends and mentors, assistant coach at USC Women's Lacrosse and a true ambassador of the game, Deemer Class. Coming off a missed 2020 season for the Chaos Lacrosse Club, he is hungry to get back on the field and prove his worth in 2021 and continue in his journey of growing this game. Let's hit episode five of Unbuckled with my guy, Deemer Class. Coach Class, what's what up? up, baby? What's going on? Not too much. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm uh, I'm with my sister right now, visiting my nephew. Where are you at? Uh, back in Baltimore with the uh, with the family for Thanksgiving. So excited to uh, excited to be here. Yeah, boy, how's it feel to be home? It's nice, man. It's always really nice coming back, getting a groove a little bit, get some shots up on the field. Uh, you know, get back with uh, Coach Case Meyer, who's always been a, a mentor and coach to me, and um, you know, get some training in. So it's it's good to be back and you know, get back to the roots. Hell yeah! So. You're kind of getting back into training a little bit. I know you you missed this season um, with the chaos. What was what was that like for you? You know, kind of uh, going into another PLL season, another big one, and, and kind of having to sit out. Yeah, it was tough. You know, I'd say you know the last couple of years have been you know challenging for me mentally. You know, going from never missing a game in college. I think I played 81 games across you know, four seasons. Um, I had a couple injuries like in high school, you know, missed a game here or there for a couple concussions, but this was really my first big injury and it turned out to be a nagging one over the past two years. So, um, you know, missed the last couple games, which was really tough. Um, you know, when we lost to the Redwoods, um, in 2019, uh, worked really yeah, hard. Boy. Yeah. Uh, worked really <laughs> hard to get back. And then, uh, and then it just started taking a downhill turn to where I had to, you know, honestly call coach towers and say, Hey, like I can't even run full speed. Um, and I was on such a good path and it's just the nature of this injury. So it was hard. It was hard to make that decision, but I also came to some peace with it because, you know, I felt like it was just what I needed to do. I needed to get this surgery and. You know, I'm feeling like, you know, it's going to really be helpful for me in terms of extending my career long term. So it was the right thing to do. And, you know, while it was tough and really proud of the team for, you know, making that run and getting to the finals, I'm just excited to get back out there. And, and for those of you who don't know, Deemer, fill us in on what that injury was exactly and kind of the timeline on that, because I know you mentioned it was kind of lingering um, from last season a little bit into this one. Yeah. So I, you know, I had, you know, kind of what I thought was, you know, just a strain or pulled adductor, you know, kind of turned into my abdomen, abdomen a little bit. And then essentially, you know, it was ultimately diagnosed as a sports hernia, uh, which I know a lot of, um, you know, a lot of lacrosse players, you know, have gotten, you know, the surgery over the years, football, hockey, you know, a lot of sports that, you know, require a lot of rotation and lateral cutting and movement. So, you know, I kind of viewed it as also just being fortunate that leading up to this time that I hadn't had a, a major surgery like that um, and kind of had some, you know, gratitude and reflection towards that. Um, but then, you know, this is just a different challenge, you know, in my path. And I think that's something that even being a coach now as well, you know, I have to you know, see the players that I coach, you know, men's and women's and, you know, they've gone through a lot of different challenges as well. And just trying to keep being an example you know, for them in terms of how I handle this process. So that was in the back of my mind a little bit as well. And you said, you, you know, you kind of found some peace with it. Um, what, what did you mean by that? I think I just came to, you know, this conclusion that it was out of my control. It's something that's been developing over the past, you know, couple seasons. And, you know, it just was what it was. You know, you and I have talked about that before. It's just, you know, you're getting feedback or you're, you know, something happens and you just got to take it and you got to, you know, respond to it. And I think, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I was doing all the right things in terms of, you know, physical therapy and, you know, taking care of my body. And, you know, I was, it was just kind of messed up. So it just got to the point where I was like, all right, I got to now focus on what's next, focus on, you know, getting the surgery, preparing, you know, coming into surgery, you know, fit, and then attacking it right away once I got it. And, 
you know, I think the, you know, the several week process has gone well and, you know, I'm continuing to, you know, get my stride back and, uh, you know, just mentally trying to, you know, find ways to get better, you know, you know, mentally as well. And, uh, you know, it's been an interesting process to say the least. Yeah. No one, you mentioned to me that you weren't going to play that season or this past season. I was, you know, the first thought in my mind was kind of our relationship and, and kind of the things that we had been talking about leading up to that point that I felt like, you know, mentally were conducive to helping get through that, um, both on your end. And then when I circle back to say, hey, like, I also can't play, we're oddly enough in the same boat, you know, both going into the season championship series, probably at points in our career where it's, you know, we're thinking it's pretty important for us to be on the field. Um, and then both kind of have to figure that out mentally. Okay, what's this look like for us? Um, which I thought was crazy that we we're both kind of in that same position. Um, but you know, I know for me, what I was kind of thinking about that downtime um, and what I was able to do off the field and, and what I thought I could do to kind of grow things outside of lacrosse a little bit. What was that like for you um, kind of taking the opportunity that you had and flipping it from, you know, more of a challenge to more of opportunity? Because um, I know, you know, you're continuing to invest in things off the field outside of, you know, just playing the game. Yeah, you make a great point. And I, and I remember the time where, you know, I had told you that I couldn't play. And then I remember you know, seeing, you know, the tweets, you know, about you and then chatting with you. And, you know, I kind of immediately felt like we were in this thing together, you know, and going through the same, same thing. Um, and it was just like, all right, like what's next? Like, and, you know, it's been, you know, definitely, you know, a way for me to start taking stock in different things I'm doing, you know, how am I, thinking about things how's my you know daily mood how am i talking about my situation you know if if is it something where i'm constantly feeling sorry for myself or if i'm using it as that opportunity to you know not only be a teaching and growing moment for myself but now immediately my mind also shifted to wow like it's going to help me be a better coach because i can now relate on another level to where not only did i miss a game or two but now i've missed a season I've missed a season that I've put so much time into. Um, now I can better speak to that. Now I can better relate uh, to my athletes. And I think that was something where, to me, that was a great opportunity, a great opportunity to practice some things I preach. You know, it's it's easy like to you know talk about responding to adversity and things. And, you know, the biggest adversity in my career through college was maybe a game where I shot over seven or over eight or, Oh, I missed, you know, a practice or two with a sprained ankle. This is a lot, you know, bigger magnitude, especially at, you know, a time where, you know, it's so exciting to see everything that PLL is doing and the, and the way the league's growing, you know, missing that, not being there with the guys, it, it was definitely a struggle. Uh, but, you know, focusing on that opportunity was um, certainly one that, you know, I didn't want to let slip away and just wanted to kind of, you know, feel that moment and, you know, watch the championship game and, and just start to visualize, you know, being back out there with the guys. Totally. And I know you kind of touched on some of the athletes that you coach, and I know you do that in varying degrees, uh, FCL, um, USC with the women. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But I think something I want to touch on with you is is kind of the seeds that were planted, right, when you were at Duke. Um, and I know we've spoken about that a little bit with, with Coach Caputo and, and Coach D., can you talk a little bit about that, you know, the inspiration that you might have gotten um, from those guys to kind of, you know, push you in the direction to, to on the journey that you've been on and kind of, you know, how that winds back to where you've arrived a bit now as, as a leader and a coach? Absolutely. It's, you know, it's funny you say that too. You know, Coach Donowski and I actually recently just did a, uh, did a webinar breaking down one of the games from my junior season. Um, and so, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how that turns out. And it was just a great reminder for me to, to hear coach talk about how, you know, he approached things with the program and how, you know, he approached, you know, trying to teach us, you know, to, to really, you know, approach not only the game, but just, you know, approach life, approach how, you know, we handled ourselves. And I always felt like when I played there, there was a deeper purpose, you know, there was something bigger to what, we were doing than just playing lacrosse games and, and, uh, and trying to win lacrosse games. And it wasn't an easy process and it was certainly not a linear process. It was, you know, there was ups, there was downs. There were times where 
you know, I was feeling, you know, really down on myself, but then those were the times that, you know, I learned from those coaches about how, how to approach that, how to handle that, um, you know, how to, um, work through it and prepare and also use those moments as those growing opportunities, you know, something I feel like the program has really been, um, you know, built around is, you know, what I think kind of just gets thrown around in sports talk now of, about having a growth mindset. You know, I think our coaches really lived that with us. I think they really took different opportunities to use lacrosse as this vehicle to teach the bigger lessons in life. Um, you know, I remember coach and I were just talking about how we would do this, you know, ground ball drill. And the first time you do it as a freshman, you know, immediately you put the stick in your strong hand because that's your comfort zone. And, you know, you would let the drill go, you would go for it and then boom, whistle was blown because it was just reinforcing that, Hey, you have to use something you're not comfortable with right now. And by the time guys are juniors and seniors, they're picking up ground balls with two hands. And honestly, you could sit here and talk about how should you play lacrosse with your strong hand or your weak hand, but that wasn't even what it was about. It was just working through, you know, the concept of fear of failure, you know, in this simple ground ball drill. And that's those seeds that were planted and sprinkled throughout every drill, every practice, every year as we grew throughout four years. And I think that's the stuff that I really take with me and always catch myself being like, wow, like that, like reminds me of this time back in college because that's where, you know, it continued to start. Um, and so I think that was, you know, something that was really special, you know, learning from those guys. And you talk a little bit about, you know, that comfortability factor and that challenge. Now for you as a player coming out of, you know, Loyal Blakefield, um, I know personally when I was a, I guess I was a sophomore and I'd watch, you know, the inside lacrosse stuff. I'd see your name kind of pop up top 10 midi, you know, kind of player, whatever, you know, want to call that. Um, the Baltimore shooting on the run midi. <laughs> Dude, well, Baltimore kids, I swear to God, these the freaking 12 year olds can shoot better than me on the run. It's crazy. <laughs> um, all the kids and the crabs, but um, getting to Duke, I feel like that's a program where they're big on molding you as a player and kind of, you know, starting from the ground up. Now, how did you feel, I guess, going from Loyola Blakefield, being you know more of a ranked player um, and then moving into Duke and then kind of having to adjust your role? And, you know, as you were adjusting your role there, playing next to a guy like Miles, who was really in the spotlight, but you at the same time, you know, were one of the all-time leading scoring middies. Yeah, it's a great point. And I, and I think what I think is also important to note, too, is when I committed to Duke, I was not a ranked player. Um, going into my junior year, um, there was, you know, maybe a top 50 coming out. And that was always like something that I would post up on my wall and was always ready to get fired up about it and, and use it as motivation. And I committed October of my junior year. Um, but when I went through that process, it was, you know, nothing was um, nothing was guaranteed you know, there was a lot of freshman middies in the past at Duke that actually played defensive midi. So it wasn't like, hey, you're going to come in and your freshman year, you're going to be an offensive midi. Like you might have to play D and then maybe you can convert if you get better. And so I think that whole time I just used that as, okay, like I'm not going to shy away from that challenge. I'm actually going to lean into it because I want to come there and I want to start as a freshman. You know, I want to mm -hmm. contribute. I want to play offensive midi, which I know I can do and know I'm going to grow to get better. Um, and I played second line. Miles and I played second line as freshmen. And, you know, we just had these seniors and, and Christian Walsh as a junior who just set the stage for how you work and how you train and how you carry yourself. And I just wanted to be like those guys. You know, I wanted to go grab the bag of balls like Josh Offit you know, be the first guy out there, be one of the last guys to leave. And not every day, but, but as much as I could, I wanted to emulate what those guys were doing because when I saw coach Caputo and Matt um, and coach D like, you know, look at those guys and talk about those guys, that's what I wanted my legacy to be. You know, from the very start, I wanted to graduate and be a guy where 
it was like, Hey, like how this guy did things like that sets the tone for the next, next generation. And so, you know, when I got there, it was just, you know, a learning process. I had to do a ton of work, you know, to get comfortable, you know, dodging with contact, get the stick in my right hand, learn the motion offense. So it was a big adjustment process. You know, I definitely feel like I played for incredible high school coaches, you know, coming out in a, in a really disciplined program at Loyola. So I felt prepared, but it's hard to prepare for college. The speed of the game is faster. You're playing against guys three, four years older than you. Um, so it was just, again, it was an adjustment process. It wasn't just a straight line up, you know, as a freshman, it was ups and downs and, you know, looking back and reflecting. And I remember I put a lot of pressure on myself as a freshman because I wanted to be the guy, you know, I wanted to, to start, but, you know, mm-hmm. coach Caputo also did a great job of always like reeling me in and be like, Hey, like some of these things that you're doing are actually things that other guys ahead of you haven't done always, you know? And so, you know, relax a little bit, like don't think too much and and just keep playing. And so it was just, it's cool to reflect on that process and how, you know, I was trying to just work through, you know, getting going, you know, into the later years of my career. Totally. And, you know, as you kind of grew into the role that you were in, you know, looking back on it mentally, did you have trouble, um, you know, kind of balancing that spotlight with Miles, um, kind of being a one-two punch with him? Or or how did you kind of handle that ego-wise? Or was that even, you know, ever a thought for you? Yeah, it's a great question. And so I'll kind of give you like a little context. I felt like freshman year, we were both on second line. We were two of six middies. But when the games got tight um, down the line, it was like a four-man rotation, right? Three All-Americans, and Christian Walsh, who was an all-conference attackman the year before. And like that was frustrating to me, but I still believed in the bigger picture. Like I trusted, you know, the coaches and things like that. And then I remember like, you know, I we won the championship my freshman year. I got back six or, or seven or eight days later, and right away, like I was already thinking about like starting the next year. I was like, I'm gonna be a starter, you know, <laughs> and was just back yeah. to work, you know, and Coach Case and I got after it that summer. I remember winter break, I was texting him like, you know, I'm going to, I'm pretty sure I texted him like, I'm going to be a first team All-American this year. Like, and I just was, That's was dope. also saying it, not even because I knew I, if I really believed it at that time, but I was just trying to like feed, feed myself to gain that confidence and like attack like my training and just like, and get really fired up to be like, I want this so bad and I'm not going to let, you know, anyone stop me or these other middies, you know, miles and I joke about all the time, like the top 10 midfield units going into our sophomore year, we weren't on the list, right. We were unproven and boom, like more bulletin board material and let's see how we end up. Right. And that, in that, that ended up, you know, finishing out pretty well our sophomore year. Um, and then I think from there, like, you, you know, you make a good point, like, you know, Miles and I have always had a really close relationship and that's only grown through the years, like playing professionally together and growing. And I do think, you know, in terms of, you know, ego wise, like, you know, as being someone who always wants to be, you know, the best and want to be the best at what I do, like, it's not easy, mm-hmm. um, you know, to sometimes be viewed as that counterpart. And, you know, I would say that like, that's something that, you know, we dealt with a lot, you know, especially just going on and, and, you know, miles continue to, you know, excel and grow as, as a player at Duke. And I think, you know, that's something that was, you know, not only in, in the back of my mind at times, but it was just something I would hear a lot. Right. And just hear people talk about it here. Oh, you know, media. hear how people are, you know, saying like, oh, one, two punch or, hey, like this guy's only good because, you know, Miles draws all the attention and things like that. And that stuff like certainly um, is there and around. Right. So like that was something that I had to kind of acknowledge and deal with. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said it didn't frustrate me. Right. And Like that's the ego piece that you and I talk about and like sense of self and sense of pride. But, you know, I think at the end of the day. I still really trusted in terms of like what was the right way to play lacrosse, you know, what was Duke lacrosse. And so, you know, I really, you know, worked to make sure that that wasn't going to affect 
one, Miles and I's relationship, and two, wasn't going to affect how I played the game. I wasn't going to try and go outside of myself or not make the right one more pass or, you know, not start the party just because, you know, I was worried about the media or this and that. And so I think having some awareness around that, um, you know, was important because that way I wasn't starting to just act in a certain way that was unfounded. You know, I made sure I had to acknowledge it, think about it. Yeah. Frustrating at times, but at the end of the day, like those people outside the locker room and outside our team and our community don't matter, you know? And so I couldn't let that get in the way of like the bigger picture and Hey, bigger relationships that go beyond the sport. And now was that something that you and coach D or coach Caputo ever had, you know, a man to man conversation about if it was bothering you? You know, honestly, there's not times that I feel like, I feel like that came out specifically. Like there's not one, if you're like, you're just kind of asking me off the cuff here that I could really touch on. I think it was maybe brought up at times or like, Hey, like, you know, I think the coaches might've said things here or there, like during practice to kind of get under skin, you know, and like, just kind of bring that out and like work through a setting where it's like, Hey, like now I'm thinking about this and this is in the back of my mind as I'm trying to make the right play. And so I think that stuff was done in terms of like, you know, making me mentally stronger and like working through that, Um, you know, but I don't think I actually had, you know, a a conversation about that. I think Miles and I, you know, have probably touched on that at at certain times throughout. But, you know, I'd say that what's been really cool for me, you know, with that is knowing that and hearing all those things, you know, to continue to take pride in just being a great friend and teammate to Miles has been something that, you know, I can control. Right. And I think it's been so cool for me Mm -hmm. to watch the success that he's had and watch him grow and his path and his journey, um, and professional lacrosse and and coaching and working with young players and, and, uh, and seeing what he's done, you know, since his Duke days and, and being there along the way, you know, and having, you know, a season on the chaos together was awesome and, you know, working through different challenges. So I think that's been something that, um, you know, has been important to me to make sure like, Hey, like this is one of my brothers, like this is one of my guys that's going to be, you know, a friend for life. And so, you know, just working to, you know, to make sure that, you know, I'm always being there for him. Yeah. It's crazy in the moment. Sometimes when you're a young player, you know, your ego and and the media and the things people are, are telling you, they're kind of disrupting the process um, and taking away from the bigger picture. And then when you're able to kind of look back on it, um, and, and kind of see one, recognize what you did right and appreciate that, you know, you, you personally were, were looking at it in, in a way that allowed you to grow and, and really see the bigger picture. But, you know, some players look back and they're like, man, what if I acted differently? Or what if, you know, I treated that situation, um, with a little bit more awareness. So do you have any, you know, specific advice about the ego and about, you know, young players out there that are dealing with this? Cause I think it's something that you see a lot of times internally with teams, conflicts with, with players with big, big egos and who's getting the spotlight and, and who's getting talked about and who's getting the All-American recognition. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, one of the things that I would say really helped me um, is always talking about it with my parents. And I feel like my parents talked about it with me in a way that was definitely more listening, listening and letting me talk things through. Um, and then, you know, giving some advice and stuff here, there, but it was, it was not always coming from a place of you should do this or you should do that. And if it did, I would kind of fight back because it was like, I wasn't always looking for an answer or what I should do. It was more just the ability to share thoughts and how I was feeling at times, you know, to different situations, you know, you know, even just other tough times, freshman year, senior year, I think was really important for me. So I think my advice would be to, you know, surround yourself with some people who you feel like you can have some of those open conversations with. And that way you're not harboring it all inside. And then two, Mm -hmm. if you are someone where you're letting the ego and maybe the media lift you up too much, like you're the guy and you don't need the work and you're the, you know, the best thing that's, you know, God given and all these things, or, you know, you're, you're not that good and you're only good because other people make you good and stuff. 
I think just having those people to kind of share those thoughts too, and then kind of bring you back to neutral um, is super, super important. And I think like, you know, I've even continued to be impressed with, you know, seeing more athletes and more successful people share their emotions and share their feelings, you know, with, with different things. And so that would just be something that, um, you know, would be my, my advice to players is, you know, you're going through a lot of things that, you know, different people, different players have gone through, um, at different times and different stages and just having someone to help you think things through, give you a different perspective, even if it's not the perspective you end up choosing and doing, I think it'll just kind of free you up. Um, and you'll get it off your chest. You'll able, you'll be able to be aware of what you're feeling and then you can address it. Then you can move forward, um, and, and think about a course of action. Totally. And, and that's a journey and the process in itself right there that we, we always talk about. And for you, you know, there's been a couple of stages of your career. One of them that, you know, I don't think people are very familiar with is, is what you did, you know, once you graduated Duke, um, when you started to kind of get into the finance world a little bit. Um, before you kind of took this next step as a, as a coach, both with FCL um, and USC. Can you talk a little bit about that transition period and what that was like for you um, after college? Absolutely. So, you know, I worked really hard to, uh, you know, to, to network and, and interview and, you know, was fortunate to get, you know, a job on, on Wall Street and, and working in sales and trading and, you know, just, worked really hard to, again, just try and be the best version of myself, you know, be a good teammate, ask questions, you know, all the things that I felt like made me a successful player to that point, um, was what I tried to kind of take with me into, to the work world. And, um, you know, was always looking for mentors, looking for advice, you know, how can I be better? And I think that experience, uh, was helpful in a few ways because, Again, it kind of put me into a playing field, if you will, that, you know, I wasn't an expert in, you know, it's kind of starting over as a freshman, starting over as someone um, who needed to really learn and dig in. And so I felt like I really drew on a lot of experiences when I transitioned to college, um, transitioned to high school. And, you know, that was, I think, really, really helpful for me. Um, and it also, I think, you know, at the more and more time I spent in that in that position, I think it really gave me a broader you know perspective on what I wanted to do with my life, and also gave me another appreciation and deeper level of appreciation for the game of lacrosse, um, and and missing you know being around that and missing being in the locker room and having that feeling with you know a group of guys, group of teammates, and so. You know, I think that was, you know, you know, six to nine months into that, uh, into that role, I think I really started, you know, thinking about, you know, my future and just wanting to not leave anything left on the table, you know, not leave any stones unturned in terms of my lacrosse career as a player, in terms of the impact I could potentially have as a coach. Um, but I felt like that experience was so important. You know, I don't, I wouldn't trade it because, I felt like me going through that process, even though you could say, hey, that's one year of that you weren't training all the time for lacrosse and you weren't fully committed mentally that formed my, you know, my process and how I looked at, you know, my future and know that, okay, like I approached something, I went after an opportunity. Um, it didn't turn out, you know, long-term to be what I was going to be end up doing, but it's helped get me to where I am now. And so I think that's something that, I really learned too from that was, you know, your path doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be this, you know, cookie cutter thing to where you know what you're going to be doing when you're 30, 40, you know, 55 years old. It's just another step, another stone in the process. And just, again, another opportunity to learn and, and take things with me going forward. There's something that you've kind of shared with me and that I think is important is, is being able to have those experiences where, you put yourself out there and you realize that it's something that you don't want to do. And if you never kind of take that step and, and put yourself out there for those experiences and, and really sink your teeth into them, then you're never going to be able to be pushed in the direction of the thing that you're really meant to do and what you're passionate about. Um, and for you, was that something that was coming internally or, or were these things that, again, you were voicing to someone, you know, someone that you really confide in and kind of speaking through, you know, what is 
you know, Deemer class's journey going to be uh, moving forward now that I know that this is not what I want to do? Yeah, I mean, completely. And I think it, it even draws back to the, to the that ground ball drill that we talked about, right? And that fear of failure. It was, hey, you know, you're leaving a, you know, job and a, and a situation that, you know, has a little more of a set career path for something that is completely, you know, unknown or, you know, isn't just going to be one thing to necessarily, you know, form your, what your career is. And, you know, I think that was, you know, huge to then, you know, be able to face that and find a way to figure it out, to pursue something that I love instead of being afraid and having that fear pin me into a role that maybe wasn't going to allow me to be who I truly was. Um, and so again, like in that process, it wasn't a, a one-time conversation and done. Like it was, it was months of discussing and like expressing my feelings and really wrestling with that. Like, Hey, am I just feeling like this because the job is a little tough right now? Or, you know, is it because it's not really what I'm passionate about? And being someone that doesn't want to just quit and walk away to walk away I think that's really a struggle. You know, I don't want to be perceived as someone who quit or couldn't hack the job or, you know, and so it became this really internal thing. Like, you know, I remember my mom saying, Hey, just do two years, just stick it out another year. And I just remember like, for what, like I've come to this conclusion that, you know, I think this is more my path and this is something that I really love and I'm passionate about playing and trying to teach and grow, you know, a business and, and just see what I can do. To where, hey, like if I fail, I fail, but at least 10 years later, I won't always be wondering what if, you know, I won't be 30 or 32 and saying, hey, what if, you know, I just had made that jump, taken that leap of faith and kind of, you know, just, you know, bet on myself and, and, and just trying to take a chance at something that, um, you know, I might want to pursue. And so I think that was just an interesting process. I'm really thankful to have, you know, my parents to kind of talk through a lot of that because, you know, in those situations, you can't consult with 20, 30 people. And when you get more into the real world, like mm -hmm. not to say people don't care, but people have so many different things going on that they can't feel what you're feeling. They can give you the advice or the what you should do or what optically looks like you should do. But only deep down, you're the one that knows like where your heart's leading and, and pointing. And at some point, you got to trust that and just, you know, pursue it. Yeah, trust that gut. And, and a lot of people are, are just on autopilot and are kind of thinking, you know, being caught in this system almost where they're going to probably just give you the advice internally from what they're feeling. And they're like, hey, you know, it's a safe, it's the nine to five, you know, you're going to get that 401k, you're going to have the ability to pay your rent monthly. And it's not going to, you know, not that you can't confide in those people, but perhaps your parents, you know, are going to be able to give you more of that broader scope um, because they believe in you and they know you a little bit more than the other person. Like I said, that's just caught in that system. And something you mentioned um, before is to me that I asked you about was kind of, you know, actually taking that leap of faith, like actually walking off, you know, the cliff, which is going into your boss's office and being like, hey, like I'm out of here. You know, what was that like? Um, and kind of how did you decide all right, tomorrow I'm cutting, cutting quits from here and I'm just going off to start my own LLC? It, it was, I was so, so nervous. Like I can, I can remember. And, um, you know, the two, two sales guys that I, you know, I backed up, I just, and the head of the desk and, you know, the head of the floor are four guys that I really, really respected and four guys that I learned so much from and, and still try and keep in touch and send a text to this day. But, you know, I was so nervous because it was like, part of it was a sense of like letting like your teammate down, you know, you're, you're coming in to say, Hey, like you're going a different way. Part of it was actually like doing that action and like having that tough conversation and like being like, boom, like here's where you're going to, you know, change paths. Um, and just like anticipating, you know, how they would handle the conversation. And so, it was after the morning meeting, I think. And it was like, it was a really hard conversation, but you know, at the end of the day, I think they, they really saw that I had taken my time to think things through. I wasn't doing this out of, um, you know, struggling in terms of performance or struggling in terms of, um, you know, interacting with people or relationships. It was simply just, 
you know, struggling with me seeing this window of pursuing something that I really loved versus something that, hey, maybe I should do or maybe looks good on a resume or things like that. And so, you know, just taking that leap of faith was it was uh, certainly a crazy one, but it, it felt like a big weight lifted because, you know, it was taking things back in, into my hands and and getting to have that freedom of, okay, like this is what I'm going to pursue and I'm going to find a way to, to make it work and, and really try and start, you know, to build, you know, something that, you know, I, I'm really passionate about. You know, one of the best pieces of advice that I've gotten recently from one of my, my mentors, uh, a guy that when I transferred schools to Seen Hall, he was our theology teacher my senior year. And I was talking to him probably like a month ago and, and he said something to me that was pretty poignant and it was, it, you know, it only takes 20 seconds um, to really have courage um, and, and make a decision that split second um, where you can think, okay, I want to go talk to that girl. You know, it's that 20 seconds or I got to walk into this person's office and sit down and start having the conversation about, you know, that I'm going to leave this company, whatever it is, it's 20 seconds for the rest of your life. Um, and I thought that was just kind of, kind of something that really stuck with me. Um, and, and kind of after you made that decision, I know you, you graduated um, from Duke, moved on, quit your job and move to kind of the full-time lacrosse, which is both playing, um, but also, you know, kind of doing stuff off the field. You know, can you talk a little bit about what that process was like, kind of starting up your LLC um, and kind of getting into, into the space um, in terms of being a coach for lacrosse? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, coming out of, you know, school, you know, one thing that always was interesting to me was coaching the details and thinking about, um, different moves, thinking about techniques. And so, you know, I had done some lessons in college and, you know, I, I felt like when I graduated, you know, Ryan Brown and I had, you know, started up an LLC together, um, you know, and started doing some shooting clinics. And then, you know, as, as that kind of, we did a couple in the fall and, and we kept working. And then, you know, that's when I was like, Hey, like, you know, I think this is something that based on the feedback, it could be pretty impactful and, you know, focusing on small groups and, and working to, again, just try and impact as many players as possible. And, you know, nothing outside of just finding ways to, to share my experiences um, and share things I've learned um, and then deliver that in a way that, you know, not only again, you know, just the techniques or how to shoot, but, you know, how to think about it, how to approach it, how to approach the game and, you know, stuff that I've learned from some, some great coaches, but I felt like, you know, it was bigger than just the X's and O's, you know, and, and some of these experiences that we've touched on between, you know, how I've approached the, the working world and, you know, how I approach college and on and off the field, I feel like that has poured into my coaching. And I, you know, a, a term we used at Duke a lot was, was bleed through, um, and so that's something that I think as I've started, you know, the business and training, um, and now, you know, what's first class lacrosse, um, has been an important thing for, for what we do. Um, and I think that's something that's been exciting. Um, and again, like just getting the opportunity to, to meet players and parents all over the country and just, again, try to have an impact and share, you know, what we're, what we're learning and going through and still, still experiencing, I think has been something that's been really exciting for me. And I, I recently, you know, joined on with first class this past summer. Um, and I graduated, I know, even before I graduated, you know, you started to do that first class stuff. And I had a guy at Rutgers, Casey Rose, who, who started to work with you a little bit. And he kind of, you know, I hear him talk about, you know, the, the details and, and what you were really focusing on. And I was like, all right, like, what's good with coach class? Like, what is he talking about? <laughs> and I was like, I want to get a, get a session in with him whatever. I actually met you. I, I think I met you over text. And I, I told you the first time we ran into each other was at the bar. And I remember you looked at me and you were like, I think you call, you called me another name. And I was just like, fuck this guy. Like, what is <laughs> I was like, what's this guy? From? <laughs> and then fast forward. Um, I remember connecting with you. I don't remember who connected with us. Um, it might've been Connor Kelly, honestly. I'm um, talking about LA a little bit when I was moving out there. And then from there we, we started to grow. Um, and I was always admiring, you know, your ability to be a leader, both you know, in business, but also in, in terms of the vision that you, you saw in the game, um, kind of on the training side and just, you know, the, the concepts about lacrosse and, and the kind of the broader scope of where you think, think things are going. 
Um, so can you touch on a little bit about, you know, FCL and the vision, you know, you see for the game and, and what you believe can can really happen with the things that you're you're hoping the rest of the lacrosse space picks up on? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, it, it is really cool to think about, you know, kind of even our journey from the first time that, you know, we got got to meet, you know, I remember seeing, you know, Karks through X video with you and, and, uh, you know, just from there, like growing this very, you know, natural relationship and just kind of sharing a lot of similar thought processes and, and mental approach to the game and just being thoughtful, you know, about your footwork and, and stuff. So it's been really, really exciting to, you know, just learn from you as much as, you know, you might be learning from me. And I think that's been, you know, awesome. And, and I think, you know, just again, like, you know, touching on what we're kind of thinking, like, you know, as the game continues to grow and, you know, the margin of error goes down, the competition raises all over, you know, I think there it's so, so important for, for young players to continue to form, you know, strong habits, you know, whether that's, you know, techniques and X's and O's um, to the habits that, you know, they're, they're working on off the field and, and how they're approaching things and how they're training. And so, you know, really, you know, our, some of our big goals are to continue to, you know, train players and what we think is good lacrosse and good technique, but also train players and how they approach training, you know, and how they um, attack their work and how they respect the process and, and how they, you know, interact with their coaches and really want to be students of the game, you know, want to ask questions, not be afraid to make mistakes, you know, that those are some staple things that, you know, if players come to our sessions, they really, you know, understand like that. These are learning environments. These are environments for trying new things and creating and, and, and working to really continue to grow. And so, you know, that's kind of the mindset that we've really had in terms of how we like to train our players and, you know, want to really keep hoping to see that grow, um, you know, on the men's and the women's side. Um, and again, not saying that, you know, what we do is, is, uh, you know, any better than the next guy and in, in the next group. It's just, these are just our experiences and things that we're, we're sharing. Um, and it's been really exciting to see that grow in a lot of, uh, in a lot of different players. Totally. I know you touched on, you know, the woman's side a little bit, you know, I personally, not that I was confused as to what you were, you know, what you were doing, but all of a sudden, you know, I see you're, you're the head coach at, you know, you are not the head coach, the assistant coach at, at USC. Um, and for me, it was the first time, like, I kind of had a real, I guess, more linear connection to the women's game and could kind of talk about it a little bit more, um, which is pretty cool for me because it's just more experience. And it's it's seeing how, you know, you could coach a little bit differently and kind of, you know, take the culture and the things that you're building on the men's side um, and start to see how those things transfer to the women's side which I, I think that's really cool. Can you talk a little bit about what that's been like for you, you know, being a coach, being a new coach to the women's game um, and kind of what that's done for you overall with your growth? Yeah, it's been really exciting. And again, I, I kind of just came to another point in my career where, you know, I remember when, you know, Coach Monday called early August of early August of 2018. So pretty much a year, a little over a year after going full time, uh, full-time lacrosse and training, you know, I started training a lot of girls in Baltimore and I have three younger sisters. So that was really my direct connection to the women's side. Um, and then, you know, having this opportunity to come work with the offense and, you know, again, really wasn't sure what to expect. Didn't know if I wanted to, to commit to it. And, um, you know, coach Monday offered me the position and, you know, she's been incredibly supportive, um, and, and helping me grow and, and giving me, you know, just an avenue to, again, explore thoughts, think about ideas, you know, be collaborative with, with the players that we have. I feel like, you know, we've got a great group of players who, you know, love to learn. They work really hard. Um, and that's all you can really ask for as a coach. And so it's been really awesome for me to, you know, be a part of, you know, growing lacrosse out West, you know, the women's game continuing to grow. And, and just, again, you know, take things I've learned from the men's game, take things I'm trying to watch and observe from the box game, um, study other, you know, women's teams and, and clips and just try and, you know, continue to come up with a style and way of doing things and, and just keep thinking through, you know, I don't think that process ever ends and we're always trying to continue to evolve. And um, it's been really special being, you know, involved in the women's game and 
you know, meeting a ton of great coaches and, and players and, and seeing that sport, you know, continue to continue to grow. Um, and so I'm just really thankful to, to be a part of it and, you know, heading into, or currently in year three, uh, right now, uh, you know, working with the offense. And what's been that, that hardest transition for you kind of going from the men's game, you know, I know you have younger sisters who play, but not being totally familiar, you know, with the women's game, how, how have you seen yourself, um, you know, really transition into, to learning that the, that side of the sport? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the best pieces of advice that I received, and this was from our, you know, women's, uh, soccer coach, um, coach Kadani, who, um, is an incredible, incredible leader and, and guy that I've, you know, really learned from in, in our office. And, you know, he really, you know, touched on, um, you know, the idea of, you know, treating players as individuals, you know, and not really broad stroking everything and broad stroking messages, but, you know, continuing to, you know, the idea of, you know, each player has, you know, maybe different personalities and ideas and different things. And, you know, I think it was just kind of really speaking to the idea of kind of building personal relationships. And I think that really resonated with me because I felt like that's how I was coached at Duke. And so I was like, oh, like, you know, that's seems, seems simple, even though it's not, you know, it's a, it's a process and you're trying to, you know, we have, uh, you know, low thirties in terms of number of, you know, uh, players on our team. So, you know, just trying to, you know, have that mindset though, I think was, you know, continuing just to, just to be a challenge to, to just make sure I'm trying to, to live up to that. And, you know, I think also too, like, you know, entering a situation where you don't have, the background, like I, this was my first college coaching position, right? Sure. I've done these things on, on the men's side and I played college and Hey, I play professionally, but at the end of the day, that stuff doesn't really matter. You know, that sure that is on a resume, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be a good coach. Right. So I think me trying to enter with the mindset of, Hey, I have these thoughts, I have these ideas, but then really trying to observe uh, see situations, see gameplay and be like, Hey, let's think about this. Or what about this? Like, can we, can you try that with your, with your stick? And I think, you know, that's something that, you know, I've tried to do, um, as a coach, which, you know, it, sometimes you can be, it, it can be easy to be like, Hey, this is how we do things. This is the exact way that we're supposed to run offense. And I think that's a balance. You know, I think it, you know, I think players appreciate it when they feel like, um, it's, you know, there's some empowerment to be had and, and ways that you can, their ideas can be heard, you know, just as much as I want my ideas to be heard. And so I think, um, you know, that's certainly been, been a process as well. And it's one that I really try and, and embrace and, and keep learning from. And are there any nuances to the women's game um, that you kind of see compared to the men's game that you appreciate more? Um, I know for me, like watching the women and kind of picking up a woman's stick, for those that you know may may have not done that as much, the ability for some of them to to really be dynamic in their movements and then get quick shots off, I think is so impressive um, with the woman's stick and just being someone that focuses on dodging and how quickly can you get your hands here and get a shot off with the woman's stick without that kind of you know that pocket. It's hard to just give a quick move, throw those hands back, and, and let it go. But I see some women who are really dynamic that are just able to get that quick step and get the shot off. Um, are there any things like that that you kind of think about that are, that are just, you know, really stand out to you? Yeah, I, I think the, the ball control, um, and the quick, quick catch, quick feed, you know, ability, you know, with that type of pocket and that stick, I think is incredible. And so I, I just remember like my first year, like really leaning into the idea of using this, the women's stick, uh, as a way mm -hmm. to get my stick work better. You know, it makes you clean up inefficiencies you know, that you might get away with, with a men's pocket. Um, and, and also just get, gave me a way more appreciation for, you know, tight feeds, you know, off ball cutting, working in smaller spaces. And that's where I think some of the, you know, some of the box lacrosse carryovers too, like that's obviously one of the big reasons that, um, you know, men's coaches love talking about box lacrosse and Hey, like tight spaces and, and working off ball and, and craftiness and things like that. And I, I think there's a lot of that in the women's game too. And so, you know, I actually really think that there's a lot of benefit for young men's players um, to get a girl stick and, and work through it, use it a little bit. It doesn't have to dominate your training 
but I think it gives you an appreciation for learning how to feel the ball in your pocket, learning how to adjust your hands, adjust how deep back you bring your stick when you go to shoot. Um, and it's, it's not to say that that's going to be how you do it because your stick will be different and you might bring your stick to different angles, but you'll understand the why behind it and how to make adjustments. And I think that's something that guys can really take away, you know, from using a women's stick. And so it just gave me a great appreciation for, you know, the speed, the physicality that continues to, you know, grow in the game, but then using those sticks and, and having no pads, it's, it's really exciting. Um, and so I think, you know, for younger, you know, men's players out there to just continue to watch and study because there's going to be things that, you know, they can continue to learn. Yeah. And I think kind of just summing that up, the, the biggest thing is really just that growth mindset, right? Always being open um, and, and admiring other people for the success that they have and seeing, okay, if that person is successful, why, what can I take from them? Um, what can I learn from them? And, and you brought it up with the why, I know that's, those are things that, you know, we really focus on, you know, with FCL and just kind of the things we talk about within our own lives. Yeah. Just going off that. I mean, the, having an open mind is so key, you know, just mm -hmm. taking things, hearing them and not judging right away, but, but think about why, think about what I can take from that, what I can learn from that. Um, and how can I apply it? Right. And that is, you know, a big, big core value to, to what we teach at first class and just trying to, again, carry that mindset for us as players. Right. And then try and impart that mindset to others for those that want to, you know, learn and get better themselves. Totally. And I think it, it doesn't stop, you know, with lacrosse. I think that's when we talk about the process and the journey, that is, is perhaps one of the most important things um, is always being open for that um, and having that open mind. Um, but listen, I'm, I'm all good on my end. I think this is great. I appreciate you, uh, you hopping on with me. I know you're, you're a busy man. Yeah, man. It was, it was awesome. I really appreciate the time. Um, you know, congrats again on, um, you know, getting these podcasts rolling. I think it's an awesome, awesome thing. And I, I think it's really cool um, to continue to hear about other guys' stories in the league and, um, you know, continue to see how the league continues to grow, which has been super exciting. So really appreciate you having me on, brother. For sure, my guy. I will holler at you. Awesome. Peace. That is it for this week's episode of Unbuckle Chinstrap. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a minute to rate the podcast. Remember to subscribe as well. Shout out to my guy, Deemer, for jumping on with me. You can follow him over on Twitter at 22classy and on Instagram at 22classy as well. While you're doing that, you might as well follow me as well at Jules Henningberg. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week as we have on one of the PLL's top face-off guys in Joe Nardella. Mm.